You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Oh, good morning. Remember, this is a spoiler-free zone. I don't want to hear about the World Cup. I don't want to know anything. I want to watch it later. But uh, it's a good day, and it's a great day to be here. i got to tell you something. Like You may not know this, but before... Uh, you know, I come out, I'm back behind the curtain there, and uh, it just gives me great joy to hear your voices like back there, because you're going to hear a lot of projected sound out here. You're going to hear a lot of what comes through microphones, but back there, I can hear you. And it's just something that's awesome, because in Christianity, we are a singing faith. God has created us to sing. We are a singing faith. Some of you may say, I just make a joyful noise. You're, you're a joyful noise faith, and, uh, you, but you do a great job. And it's awesome to hear the praises of God's people, like that we gather together and that we have something to sing about. That's a huge deal because it's about Jesus. And uh, that's why we're even here this morning. We want to look in his word. We want to hear from God. We, want, we believe that God will still speak to our hearts. And that's my prayer for you this morning that God will speak to your heart something that you have maybe just thought, I I don't know what I need to be reminded of. God, I'm here. My life has ups. It has downs. But God, today I want to meet with you as I'm in church today, and that's my heart for you. Will you take out your outline and your program, and we're going to get jumping into our part two of a series called Everything You Need. And you remember last week we talked about uh, you might pack and you might forget something, and then you're like, oh, I don't have everything I need. And I told you a story about when I went to a camp to speak at the camp and I had forgot my underwear and, uh, and I had to go to Target really quick of that camp because I didn't have everything I need. But we found out that in the book of 2 Peter, Peter says you have everything you need to live a godly life because of God's divine power and because he's put a divine nature inside of you that counteracts your sin nature. You've got everything you need in your backpack for living a godly life. And we forget that. We forget. We think I still need more. I still need extra. I still need, and we're supposed to add to our faith and we're supposed to gain more knowledge. We're supposed to participate with God's Holy Spirit. We're supposed to grow in how we love ourselves, how we love other people. We're to grow in the good works God created in advance for us to do. And all those things are in our backpack. God gives us by his divine power, the ability for all that to happen. And so Peter is writing to people who are worried. They're they're writing that maybe they just don't have everything they need. And so last week we just found out that we have everything we need for a godly life. And this week, Peter's going to remind us that we have everything we need to trust the Bible. We have everything we need to trust the Bible. It may be that you've read a good book and maybe at night you woke up and you were like, I got to keep reading because I I just can't sleep until I know what happens in that next chapter. And you stayed up way past when you thought you were going to stay up because the book was so good. And some of you are like, yeah, I read books with pictures called movies. And maybe the movie for you was so good. But that book sometimes is really important because God gives us story. God gives us his word. God gives us everything intentionally so that you and I feel a little bit more alive. And I want to talk to with you today about the Bible. A lot of you in this room, because you're like, Dave, I trust the Bible. That's why I'm in the room. Some of you, though, are in the room and you're like, honestly, I've heard some things about the Bible. I heard that, like, you know, some of it's good. Some of it, you think it's inspirational reading. Some of you think, well, it, it was written down by human people, and so it probably has some corruption in it. So I don't know how much I can really trust it. And others of you are like, I've heard some crazy stuff about the Bible, 
and I just assumed that that was true about the Bible because I just really haven't ever studied it. And so what I want to talk with you about today is how do you and I know that we can trust the reliability of the Bible? So I'm going to ask some questions here just to, this is just some trivia, but how many books make up the Old Testament of the Bible? Anybody know? How many? Nobody knows. So here's, I'm going to tell you how you can know. How many letters are in the word old? Three. All right, how many letters are in the word testament? T-E-S-T. How many? Nine, right? So, there's, so the way you can know is that there are 39 books in the Old Testament. Now, how many books are in the New Testament? It's not 39. <laughs> but how many, how many letters are in the word new? Three. How many letters in the word testament? Nine. Three times nine is 27. There are 39 in the Old Testament. There are 27 in the New Testament. There are 66 books total that make up the Bible. And here's why you need this sermon today, because the Bible is God's word. And honestly, if you went to the store, you went on Amazon, and you bought a Bible, you can buy a paper Bible for anywhere between $20 to $30 pretty easily. And that, you know, is a pretty economical price. You could go on your smart device, and you can download the Bible for free and think, well, because it was free or because it was fairly inexpensive, I guess it's just good inspirational reading, but the reality is this. If the Bible is the very words of God to people, then it's priceless. It's not the word of some best-selling author. It's not the word of some human inspiration. If this is the word of God to people, giving you everything you need for life and godliness, then this book is absolutely priceless. So it's very important for you and I to study the evidence, and find out, is this book the inspired word of God? Are these actually the words of God, or are they just the opinions of people? And so open your Bible with me, if you will, to first, or Second Peter. We're going to be in chapter 1, but before we get there, I want to help you understand that Peter's writing this book, Second Peter, after he wrote First Peter. First Peter deals with helping people who are persecuted, in their culture, for their faith, stand in a public way against the culture. And we found out in 1 Peter that if you live a victorious life under persecution, you can actually evangelize a hostile world. And it talks so much about the public response, like don't commit revenge, like trust God while you're in waiting. If you're persecuted, don't do this and this and this. Don't give up hope. You have everything to live for, and the future starts now, is what we kept coming back to in 1 Peter. But I love it because he writes the second book to the same group, and I think he deals not with the public front of persecution, but the private front, the inner front. This is, the I believe, the harder struggle. This is the inward part of the person, the private battle, the doubts, the fears, the insecurities that lurk within a Christian and threaten to derail his or her life. Those are the harder battles, aren't they? You might say, I believe the Bible's true and I have faith, but then... Things happen in life and you begin to doubt. You begin to wonder. You feel insecurity. You look at your own abilities and say, do I have what it takes? And Second Peter is written to deal with the private battles that threaten to derail your life. 
But Peter's going to convince you and me that we have everything we need to live a godly life. And so with everything in your hands, including your mobile device, to stand up right where you're at. I want us to stand together and read the theme verse like we did last week from this book. You're going to stand up very briefly. We're going to read it on the screen. Will you just read this aloud with me? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. All right, you may be seated. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I want to just say thank you that when we doubt, you would inspire a guy like Peter who walked with you, who made blunders in his life, who wasn't perfect. You would make him, of all people, say that you've given us everything we need. God, teach us now from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, at this point, Peter addresses the reliability of the Bible. He's already talked about we have the courage to follow Christ because in the previous sermon, you, we found out that God gives us his word. He gives us his promises. He gives us this divine nature, but he gives us his promises in scripture and promises are important to us because they give us courage to follow him. Like, I'm afraid, and so I need some courage. God, your word says that you promise that you'll never leave me or forsake me. So guess what? When I feel like I'm orphaned by you, I can stand on the promise that you'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me, and it gives me courage to come back after you when I felt orphaned. Do you see how that works? That God gives us everything we need. His promises give us courage to actually participate with his Holy Spirit. His promises give us courage to actually have a relationship with God, not just some cognitive faith. He gives us everything that we need. But now, Peter wants to address the authority and the reliability of the Bible itself. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll begin at verse 12. And I'll read this. Just follow along on the screens or in your own Bible. He says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory. As long as I live in this tent of the body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you'll always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard that voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we also have this prophetic message as something completely, what? Reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as a, to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So I want to tell you a little bit about the Bible. The Bible is an interesting book. This book, the Bible, is actually the number one best-selling book of all time. Hands down, there's nothing close to it. This is the number one best-selling book of all time. And some of you have actually not ever read the number one best-selling book of all time. You just haven't read it. 
Haven't read it cover to cover. You don't know all that might be in it. And I would encourage you that maybe you just do a Bible reading plan in this year that you would say by next year, at this time, I will have increased, I will add it to my faith, knowledge. Because I will have read the number one best-selling book of all time because I just did a Bible reading plan for a year and you'll be richer on the inside because of it. I would encourage you to do that. But not only is it the number one best-selling book of all time, it's the number one most shoplifted book of all time. <laughs> it is. It's been ripped off more than any other book. You would think like if you're going to steal a book, the Bible may not be the one that you want to steal. Might be some accountability for that, right? The Bible it's a big book. It contains 773,692 words. It would take an average person to read it cover to cover out loud. It would take an average person about 70 hours to read it aloud. God's word are written by all sorts of different people in different places. Sometimes shepherds or statements or politicians or poets. By a doctor. Even by musicians and tax collectors. It was written in 13 different countries. On three different continents. Asia. Africa and Europe, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. And what's amazing is the Bible was written over a span of 1,500 years, far longer than our country has been in existence. It has an amazing accuracy and consistency, and it comes when it comes to the message about the character, the nature of God, his redemptive plan for people. The Bible, this book, is the word of God. The problem is that you and I are forgetful people. We're forgetful people, aren't we? See, sometimes what is trusted in good times, we have no problem with. But when bad times come, we're forgetful. What we trusted in good times is sometimes untrusted or questioned in bad times. Because we're forgetful people. I mean, nobody would ever say this, but you just listen to this statement. You know, God, things are going so well. Your promises are amazing. Everything has been great. You have blessed me so much that I actually am absolutely going to hate the Bible from now on. Said no one ever, right? But what happens? We are forgetful people. And I think one of the wisest prayers in the Bible comes from a guy who's aware that it's easy to forget God. It's easy to forget the God we love, forget the God we serve, that we can easily become self-sufficient, or we can be under duress to such an extent that we begin to become self-serving. And it's by a guy by the name of Augur, A-G-U-R, and he wrote this in Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Look with me on the screens. It says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Verse 9, otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Do you see what he was trying to avoid? Do you see how much he is self-aware? He knew the danger of a person to forget their need for God in prosperity. That they're like, you know, I'm actually doing pretty good. I'm actually doing pretty well. I, I, you know, things have been going great. I seem to be self-sufficient and you think you're doing pretty well and your life kind of just coasts and drifts a little bit further away from participating with God's Holy Spirit. On the other hand, he's aware of his weakness. The Bible that says, thou shalt not steal, he's thinking, if I'm in poverty, I, I might get hungry. 
I might get afraid. I might try to take care of myself, and so I might dishonor the name of God by stealing. So here's a guy saying, Lord, if these are the bookends, put me somewhere in the middle so that I don't dishonor you and so that I especially, God, especially don't forget you. Peter is writing to people who have been in a pretty good place until persecution came along. And now their faith is being challenged. Their spiritual life is gaining spiritual muscle. It has to because it's being worked out in ways they didn't want it to be worked out. But they are in a time of confusion and they're in a time of persecution. And it makes you and I question what we used to trust. And so Paul, uh, Peter is writing this letter. In fact, on your outline, the question exists, why did Peter write this letter? And he tells us in this chapter, number one in your outline is to refresh their memory and help us remember it for all time. He said this, I will always remind who? You of these things, even though you know them. He's saying, you already know it, but guess what? We're forgetful people. I'm going to remind you of these things and you're firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your mere memory. As long as I live in this tent of the body, he's saying, my time is short. God's made it clear to me I'm not going to live that much longer. I'm under persecution. And as we've talked before, Peter was martyred for his belief in Christ after writing this letter. So he's saying, I want to refresh your memory, one, as long as I live, but I know I soon am going to go to be with the Lord. The Lord's made it clear to me, verse 15. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So he's saying, I'm not going to just be here to remind you while I'm here, but after I die, in fact, the reason you and I are able to look at this this morning, the reason you and I are able to discuss it and unpack what Peter is saying this morning is because he used the medium as he's being carried along by God's Holy Spirit to write it down. And God protects his word. And over the centuries, against many, many efforts to burn, to destroy, to get rid of the word of God, God has sustained and protected his word. And here today, you and I are able to look at it long after he was martyred. And we were being reminded of the very things that he shared. See, when persecuted, people want to know that the Bible is trustworthy and not just inspirational reading. So Peter counters that errant thinking with what's called the internal test. So he first of all says, I want to remind you. I think it's good for me to remind you. I want to remind you while I'm living. I'm going to remind you after I'm dead. But he says, let me give you an internal test. The first test is called the internal test. Does the Bible pass the internal test? You say, well, what, Dave, is the internal test? The internal test answers the question, do the writers of the Bible say that what they are writing is true? Basically, do the people who wrote the Bible say, I'm just writing a story. I'm actually making this up. I actually, this is all just clever thinking. Is that what they say? Or do the people say, no, seriously, I was there. I saw it. This is accurate. Well, what does Peter say then regarding the internal test? Verse 16, he says this, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That's really important. Remember who this is. This is Peter. This is Peter, who was one of the disciples of Christ. He spent three and a half years walking with Jesus. He saw a lot of stuff at that time. And there were other people at the time that he's writing right now who were living, who saw some of those similar things at that time, who could have come to him and said, ah, I don't think it really went down like the way you said. But this is Peter. This is the guy who said, 
Lord, when Jesus was walking on the water, he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And he stepped out of the boat and he walked on water until he saw the wind and waves and began to sink and God rescued him and brought him back to the boat. This is Peter who would stick his foot in his mouth. This is Peter who was impulsive, who would jump off a boat and swim to shore when everybody else would just ride the boat to shore. This is Peter who pulled out his sword and tried to defend Jesus in the garden when Jesus was betrayed and he swung that sword and he lopped off the ear of the servant of the high priest and then Jesus had to go pick it up, put it back on, check his hearing, it was all good. And tell Peter to put his sword away. So Peter is not a guy who hasn't been around the block. This guy has seen it. He's done it. He's been a part of it. He's lived and breathed it all. He said that was an eyewitness. He goes on and says this. Eyewitness of his majesty. Verse 17. He received honor and glory from God the Father. When the voice came to him from the majestic glory. Which by the way I think is a very cool description of the spoken voice of almighty God. The majestic glory spoke from heaven. Here's what he said. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. By the way, that's the same thing that God said of Jesus at his baptism. Jesus goes down to get baptized. God speaks from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With whom I'm well pleased. Jesus hasn't done anything yet. He hadn't gone into ministry. He hadn't done anything great yet. And yet that was his identity. By the way, let me remind you that that's your identity that because we don't stand on our own righteousness, because we stand on the righteousness of Almighty God, that we stand that his, the righteousness of Christ is transferred to us and our sin was put upon him and he went to the cross for it, that suddenly now you and I are the son or the daughter of the Most High God whom he loves and with whom he's well pleased. Maybe this morning that's all you needed. Maybe I should just close in prayer. Because why? We're forgetful people, right? We walk in and think God's kind of pleased with me. Or God's very displeased with me. Or maybe God has sidelined me. Or maybe God has forgotten me. I'm a forgetful person, so God must act like me. He must forget. And God's going, no, I see in you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm pleased with you. I love you. I'm so glad to hear your voice this morning. But since Peter goes on, so will I. He said this, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Remember the the internal test asked, were you there? Did you see it? Or was it something made up? Are you saying what you're writing here is a true thing or it's a made up fabricated story? What is he saying? And in other words, what Peter is saying here is, I was there. I saw it with my own two eyes. I experienced him firsthand. And the mountain that he's talking about, the sacred mountain, you're like, what in the world is he talking about? Like, he's referring back to a story that apparently everybody gets but me. So what is he talking about? And what he's talking about is when Peter, James, and John accompanied Jesus, they went up on top of the mount that's known as the Mount of Transfiguration. And in front of their eyes, Jesus was transformed. He went from being just a regular kind of person to all of a sudden being super bright, glowing like the morning star that he refers to later. He's brilliant. You ought to pay attention to the person who just starts shining like a bright light, a brilliant star. Jesus does. And all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses show up. And in that moment, God speaks from heaven. 
And Peter's saying, I was there. He was transfigured before my eyes. Moses shows up. Elijah shows up. God speaks from heaven. And if you want to read about it, you can read about it in three of the Gospels. Matthew chapter 17, Mark chapter 9, or Luke chapter 9. And you can read about it firsthand. He's saying these, all these years later from when those gospels were written, all these years later saying, I was there. I saw it with my own two eyes. And what he doesn't mention is that when he heard that voice from heaven, it so terrified him that he fell face down on the ground and trembled before God. And it was so terrifying that suddenly Jesus stopped glowing. Elijah and Moses disappear. And when the disciples look up, it's just Jesus by himself. And he says, do not be afraid. And what Peter is saying is not only, hey, I'm writing this down and I saw it. He's saying, I've spent the last so many years and I will never forget the voice of God speaking from heaven like that. It's that real. I cannot forget it. He's saying, I was there. The New Testament was written between A.D. 47 and A.D. 95. So there's plenty of first-generation believers who were alive who saw all these things firsthand uh, that the Bible was talking about, and they could have at any time stepped up, refuted what was written down in Scripture and saying, I was there. That's not how it went down. It didn't happen that way, but listen to me. Those people didn't. They couldn't. Because what they were writing about was true firsthand other eyewitnesses in history attested to the truth of the scripture. So clearly across the board, everyone would say, yes, the Bible passes the internal test. So he says, listen, I want to remind you why the Bible's reliable. I want to remind you of these things. In fact, I want to give you the internal test. There's other tests that you can utilize to validate Scripture, but he gives the internal test in his argument here. The Bible passes it. Peter says that this is really important, and he goes on, and he's writing a letter, and he comes to his next statement, and he says this. He says, above all. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're reading a, a memo at work from the boss, and it goes blah, 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 and all of a sudden it says, above all. Maybe in capitals. Whatever is next, you're going to pay extra careful attention to because it means, hey, I've told you lots of important stuff and it's really good stuff, but this one's more important. This one is next. And what I want to let you know is above all, he says this in verse 20. He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Okay, all the time you'll hear, well, the Bible was written down by people, and that's just what they thought back then. The Bible was written down by people, so maybe there's some corruption in it. Uh, that's just their interpretation. The Bible, that was written a long time ago, so that instruction, that idea is very outdated for today. As if we've like evolved to a state that we're beyond the words of God. And what I want you to understand is to be very careful about bringing that kind of mindset to the scriptures, because Peter's saying these scriptures are the words of God. They're not the words of people. So don't use the people in history argument with the words. You remember that Jesus, because he came, because he paid for our sin on the cross, you look at the Old Testament, God's angry. God's angry. You sinned. I'm angry. And then the New Testament, you're like, God's all loving. You're like, how did, what, it's like, you know, it's like, Passive-aggressive God. What happened here? I, I don't understand. And the reality is that God was angry about sin in the Old Testament, but because his wrath was poured out on the person of Jesus on the cross and satisfied, 
in the New Testament now, it's all about love, but you remember Jesus didn't say, hey, I, I've done away with the Old Testament. He didn't say that at all. What Jesus said was, I fulfilled the Old Testament. And in most of the situations, Jesus said, the Old Testament said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But Jesus ups it a notch in the New Testament. He didn't say, oh, that's no longer in effect. Go do whatever you want. He said, thou shalt not commit adultery. In the New Testament, he says, if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, it's as if he has committed adultery with her. Ooh, that just, here's the physical thing, don't do that, but now here's the thought, that's a little higher. So Jesus came along to fulfill the Old Testament, but he also elevated. In the Old Testament, you have tithing, and you see tithing throughout the Old Testament, and people are like, oh, that's an Old Testament idea. But in the New Testament, you see Jesus saying, keep tithing, but I really want to deal with your heart when it comes to money. See what Jesus did there? He didn't unwrite and say, you don't got to tithe anymore. What he said is, you need to tithe, but I'm more concerned with your heart because some of you are tithing, but your heart is really bitter about it or your heart is very proud about it. You do it in a very public way so everybody can know and praise you and think you're so good. Jesus didn't unwrite the Old Testament. He actually fulfilled it and elevate it in the new. And so you have to be very careful when you take certain statements in scripture and you do need to do the background to understand the historical analysis. You need to do a full study in the scripture and what is the whole counsel of the entire word of God when it comes to certain issues because people want to take one little thing and write it off because they have this idea that it was a prophet's own interpretation. And what is Peter saying? Listen, listen, listen. Above all, Yes, I said all sorts of important stuff, but right now you've got to understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. And then he says this, For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by his Holy Spirit. This is very important for you to understand. That yes, God used people to write down his words, but these prophets were carried along by God's Holy Spirit to write down what God was communicating. Just like God uses you or me to do some good things. God uses you or me to carry out his will on earth. God uses the church to be the light to a lost world and to love a lost world so that, that they would not look at the church and say, yay, church, but that they look at Jesus and know him and personally follow him and love him. God uses us, but the source is not us. The source is God. And he's saying that's the same thing here. So number four in your outline, biblical authors spoke from God as they were carried along by God's Holy Spirit. But here's what you need to understand. God is the source of the Bible's words, not human interpretation. Let me make it very clear. When you're in tough times and you're questioning, man, do I have everything it takes? Do I have everything I need for a godly life? What about when I'm being persecuted? What about when life is hard? What about when I have a huge disappointment? What about when my dad gets sick or my mom gets sick or my kids get sick? What about when we have a big scare in our lives? Do, does the Bible still fit and give me everything I need? Well, I don't know if it's human interpretation. I might question that. And Peter is saying, above all, you got to understand that none of it came about as human interpretation. It's all the word of God the personal love letter and text to you, everything you need for godliness. You've got the Bible. So what's he saying? You have everything you need to trust the Bible. 
to those who are persecuted and suffering for their belief in Jesus, Peter writes to them, listen, the Bible is reliable and its promises are secure. It's prophecy that he relates to. It's backed up by not only evidence, but I want you to understand this because sometimes when you read the Bible, you don't hear it. It's backed up by evidence, but it's also backed up by the emotion. I mean, if only we could hear Peter say, I was there on the mountain and when God spoke, I was terrified. And since then, I have watched God be faithful even as my wife has been crucified, even as she was, she was being killed. God has been faithful. Even though my life is to be taken from me, God has been faithful. And he's saying, the only thing that gives me courage in this persecution is that there are prophecies that have been fulfilled which know, makes me know that God's promises to me will be fulfilled whether I live or I die. And so in Isaiah 7, the Old Testament starts some crazy talk. It said that Jesus would be born of a virgin. It said the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. Now, if you're in the Old Testament, you're reading that, you're like, what? Is that a typo? Is that human interpretation? What's that? But you got to realize the emotion of it. In Matthew chapter 1, that exact thing was fulfilled. In Micah chapter 5, it prophesied that Jesus would be born. Of all places he could be born, he would be born in Bethlehem. And it was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2 in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 11, it said Jesus would be anointed by the Spirit of God. And it was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 3. The Old Testament says, see your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle, riding on a donkey. And in John 12, it was so as Jesus took his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. People wanted to make him king, but he knew within a week he would die for the sins of the world. Your king came in the gentle way with salvation at his own cost. Psalm 41 said that Jesus would be betrayed by a friend. It says, even my close friend whom I trusted has lifted up his heel against me. And in Matthew 26, that prophecy is fulfilled. It says this, quote, now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss will be the man. Arrest him. Well, going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. The common greeting in a Middle Eastern culture. And they arrested Jesus. And here's Peter. Peter's going, I was there. I was in the garden, I saw Judas, our treasurer of all people, Judas, went away and he betrayed Jesus. And it's then that I pulled out my sword. That's how emotional it is. The Old Testament prophesied it. In Isaiah 50, it said that Jesus would one day be beaten and actually spit upon. And in Matthew 26, it showed this horrible prophecy coming true. Psalm 118 showed that Jesus would rise again. It says, quote, I will not die, but live, and I will proclaim what the Lord has done. Speaking of the future Messiah, the Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. And in Mark 16, it shows exactly what Jesus did, dying on a cross for your sin and mine, but not being given over and condemned to death, but that he was victorious over death, that he rose from the dead, that he brings new life. And here's Peter going, it's all true. I was there, I've seen it, and I need to let you know it's so true. And it's part of what you need for your daily life to even walk with Jesus. And he's saying it's reliable, trust it, that even as I'm facing death, I know that what he's promised me 
will come true. And then there's you and me, centuries later, and we're forgetful people, but you need to know that you can trust the Bible. There was a season when, man, I just felt like everything was against me, and I just felt like I couldn't even like defend myself. It was just a brutal uh, period of time in my life, and I'm crying out to God, and as I'm reading through the scriptures, I come across this verse that says, God will make the rightness of your cause shine like the noonday sun. Now here's me, I feel like, well, I wanted to show the rightness of my cause like at dawn because I'm there like right now and I need help now and I don't want to wait till noon. I want to like, I need help now, but I just, here's the scripture. I'm going, okay, God, am I going to trust you on that? Can you do a better job defending me than I can of defending me? And I trusted that that's what he was going to do and God showed that the rightness of my cause shone like the noonday sun. But it took some time, but God was faithful and his promises are true and he's a far better defender of me than I am of me. He's a good, good daddy. Listen, if I had one wish for you, it's that you would read this book on a daily basis. You wouldn't just read it, but you would do what it says because I believe if you do that, it will transform your life. You'll go from being a parent to being a more godly parent. You'll go from being a worker to being a more godly worker. You'll go from a person who's in relationship to actually learning and figuring out how to do relationship that lasts. God will tear down some things in your life and you'll let him tear it down because you trust that God, if you're gonna tear it down, you're gonna rebuild. You're gonna make your life better in so many ways. You'd be full of the joy of God. You'd be generous. You'd stop being so concerned about the temporary things of this world that just won't last, that we put so much importance in. And you'd be generous and say, God, it's for you. It's for your kingdom. I love you. I trust you. You, God, are my source. You would be more prayerful. You would be mission-minded. If you truly valued and honored the word of God, your life would get on a mission that is undeniable and one that is lasting forever. In fact, it earns heavenly reward for you. Is the Bible reliable? It's completely reliable. Is it inspired? It is the living and active word of God, and you can trust it. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, one of the things the Bible says is that if you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you acknowledge that he rose from the dead, if you confess it with your mouth, you will be saved. And some of you are like, God, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I want forgiveness for my sins. I can't wash them away. But you're learning today that Jesus said, I died on the cross to satisfy God's righteous anger against your sin. And if you believe, you give faith to what I did on the cross and you confess it with your mouth, you'll be saved. And maybe right, that's you, right where you're seated. You just pray a prayer to God. He hears you just right after me, something like this, to say, Jesus, today, I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you're God. And I ask you to come inside of my life and wash me as white as snow. Make me a new creation because today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.